Hi, welcome to episode 57 of Global Exchanges, a podcast about foreign exchange markets and related issues. In this week's episode, my co-host Stephen Gao and I will be joined by BMO FX Forwards trader James Topham. The topic of our discussion will be so-called turn pressures that are manifest in the interest rates implied by FX forward points in various currencies. The title for this episode is As the FX World Turns, the 2022 episode. Hi, I'm Stephen Gallo, a London-based FX strategist. Welcome to Global Exchanges, presented by BMO Capital Markets. Hi, I'm Greg Anderson, a New York-based FX strategist. I'm Stephen's co-host. In each weekly podcast like today's, we discuss our perspectives on the global economy and the foreign exchange market. We also bring in guests from the FX industry and from related financial markets like commodities. We strive to make this show as interactive as possible, so don't hesitate to reach out by going to bmocm.com slash global exchanges. Thanks for joining us. Okay, welcome to Global Exchanges, episode 57. Thanks for tuning in. It's November 22nd, 2022, and today we're joined by James Topham, as Greg Anderson noted, for an in-depth discussion on the FX forwards market, funding conditions, and other factors we don't normally talk about on Global Exchanges as we head into the turn of the year, the end of 2022. So James is part of the Digital and Liquid Trading Group in BMO FX, and as Greg noted in the main intro to this episode, he has extensive experience trading forwards. James, welcome to Global Exchanges. Thank you. And just for background, we had James with us uh, before on Global Exchanges a little less than a year ago to preview the 2021 turn. So this is James' second hit on Global Exchanges. We'll have a lot of interesting things to talk about today. Right. So, Greg, Global Head of FX Strategy, as uh, that's who you are, why don't we start off with you and your line of questioning for, uh, for James. What do you have to ask him? James, thanks so much for joining us. Last year, when we had you on for the uh, 2021 episode of As the FX World Turns, you said something that I thought was super insightful and fascinating. You said that for 2021, You felt like any turn pressures were more a result of greater excess liquidity in other currencies uh, than the dollar, and and not so much an issue of tight liquidity in the USD. So New Year, 2022, and I want to ask you if, if you still hold that view, or has the Fed's QT changed who we should, you know, quote unquote, blame for uh, any turn seasonality that manifests itself? Hmm, Good question. I think that uh, it's certainly still the case that most of the turn effect comes from uh, excess liquidity in the in the non-dollar currency and financial institutions um, and other market users need to shrink their balance sheet in in all these other currencies. It is true that with Fed tightening, dollar liquidity is leaving the system, albeit gradually, but we are certainly not at the point yet where where dollar liquidity is is tight. We haven't reached that point yet. We will at some point, probably next year. Uh, but no, it's still very, very much the case that uh, the problem is, for example, parking your yen, parking your euros, parking your sterling somewhere 
that's the thing that uh, causes the, the turn, definitely, not the fact that people are scrambling for, for USD. Thanks for that response, James. So um, kind of another follow-up question to last year. You said last year that you didn't think that uh, turn pressures in the FX forward market spilled over to the spot market, at least for 2021. So um, I, I want to explore that for 2022. Um, but I, I, my first uh, question for you is, uh, what date did the uh, three-month FX forward first span across the, uh, the turn? Um, so that would have been 29th of September, probably. Yes, 29th, I think. Okay. And then, and then the, um, the, the two-month um, would have spanned it on uh, what date? Um, so likewise, something like 28th of October, um, just so you, where your typical T plus two spot date then goes into the new month. So something like 28th of October for the two months. Okay. And so then, then the, uh, the contract, which I kind of presume would have the biggest action, the, the one month, um, that, that'll span the turn on uh, what, what date is it? Uh, next week, 29th of November. That's uh, when the one month will roll over. Okay. So uh, on this issue, I, I, I guess I will point out that, um, you know, we started to see uh, bits of pressures in the forward market, um, you know, like 25th and onwards or whatever in, in September. And uh, in the spot market, the 28th of September was the uh, index high for US dollar index. So we did see this upward surge in the dollar, right, right as that three-month uh, span the turn. Um, James, in your, in your view, is, is there any causation or was that just a pure coincidence? Mm, good question. I think, uh, I think just a coincidence, Greg. As, as I mentioned uh, last year, the, although in percentage terms, uh, annualized yield terms, the turns are uh, enormous. If you look at the actual uh, points cost of hedging the turn or not, it's still relatively small compared to daily, weekly volatility spot ranges. So I really don't think that at, at these kind of levels that we've experienced in in recent years, it, it can uh, it can affect the spot. I, I, I don't think so. So I do think that's just a coincidence. Uh, I and I'll defend your answer by pointing to that. Uh, you know, when we had the two month span um, in late October, there was. Uh, zero uh, upward impulse in the dollar on on that date. Mm -hmm. So, James, uh, last question for me, at least for now. When I think about the the term phenomena, the first pair that comes at least to to my mind is dollar-yen. So if if I could ask, I want to ask you how how things are kind of evolving dollar-yen this year. And so first off, how illiquid has uh, the dollar-yen forward market been headed into calendar year end and um, how, how exaggerated were the moves in implied yields in, in dollar yen when, when we had the three month span the turn and in the two month uh, span the turn so uh, liquidity wise things have been things have been okay uh, spreads are a uh, bit off of spreads are a little a little wider uh, if they encompass the turn um, just because it's it's a little more volatile. Um, and dealers are, you know, a, a, li- a little bit wary of of pricing and holding that stuff. Um, but actually, it's been it's been pretty good. It's been pretty liquidity's been been there. There's been no bad days, no bad episodes that I can that I can recall. Uh, things have been functioning 
things have been functioning quite well. And to your question about uh, levels of, of dollar yen, um, the turn's been it's been big, um, you know, uh, several hundred basis points as, as usual. But actually, I, in in recent days, it's been uh, it's been tightening up a bit, normalising, uh, along with along with the other currency pairs, and you know, we do expect some more um, dollar borrowing flows to come around uh, around month end, the one month roll that that we mentioned before. Um, and also you get, um, sometimes you get a wave of flows um, as you come up to mid-December for the um, for the roll of the CME contracts, the December to March roll. Obviously that uh, that goes over the turn. Uh, so that's a wave of flows that can push things around as the market digests them. But I would say it's possible that we've already seen the widest levels this year for this, uh, for this season. Thanks so much, James. That, uh, that's really insightful. Solicitor Gallo, your witness. Okay, thanks for the handoff, Greg. Uh, so, uh, James, I'd like to briefly cover Europe in general. And to do that, I want to concentrate first specifically on funding conditions for Europe-based banks. Have we seen any stresses in this regard for European-based banks in terms of their dollar funding needs or their costs? I would say, I would say not, depending on how far back you want to go, let's say, to the, uh, to the pandemic. There were some weeks of... Uh, of, of Real, uh, real stress in the market when people were unwinding risk and retrenching, and so there was some 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 panic in in funding uh, at that time. But then the central banks threw the kitchen sink at everything, and things calmed down very quickly. Um, and they remained calm until uh, until the uh, you know the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Again, a few days of uh, a few days of panic, which quickly subsided, but um, pretty much. The European banks seem to be in pretty good shape. Okay. As you can see, for example, if you look at the, um, you know, the Fed swap lines, for example, this kind of stuff, and um, it are, are unused, um, pretty much, and general levels of euro cross currency basis are, you know, pretty normal, pretty so, tight. So I guess kind of what you're saying is, if bank balance sheets were in the shape that they were in prior to the global financial crisis, today with the war in Ukraine, an energy crisis, high inflation, and monetary tightening, things could be much, much, much worse. Things could be a lot worse. Okay. Yes, indeed. Okay. Yeah. Makes sense. The second line of questioning is got to involve the UK, because the move in sterling, the dislocations in the UK government debt market, uh, these are some of the big macro events of the year, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but despite those dislocations and the moves that I just mentioned, it looks like we didn't see very much anything in the cross-currency basis, funding conditions for UK banks remain pretty stable. What do you think has been going on there? Why so much calm? Uh, yes, great question. Because um, when all that stuff was kicking off, you know, these are the kind of um, these are the kind of events which typically would have a widening effect on the cross-currency basis, especially for a for a market like sterling. Um, so it was very interesting that we didn't see any uh, any widening at all. I'm really not sure why that is. Um, it's possible that although the gilt market was the gilt market was very like seriously affected, yeah. perhaps UK banks you know, just not carrying that much gilt inventory these days in their market making books. Perhaps uh, their balance sheets are just so much more solid post uh, post financial crisis. Mm. I'm I'm not sure, but. Um, yeah, certainly the basis uh, could have could have it could have widened. Maybe classically, you would say it should widen, uh, but that we did we saw no such uh, we saw no such move. Not even a uh, 
not even a short-term uh, panic um, with a quick retracement. Right. It just uh, it didn't move. It was quite unusual. Yeah, it's 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 very unusual. It's it, it's fascinating. I wonder though if it's worth considering that had the events that took place in the UK gone on for a number of weeks and and things weren't corrected as quickly as they were, is it possible then there would have been some reticence, non-UK banks lending foreign currency dollars to UK banks? Mm-hmm. I wonder I wonder if that's possible. That's a, that's a good point. Perhaps it was because, um, although it was a, uh, you know, a, a deep crisis, <laughs> perhaps it, it only seemed to last right. a week or so before right. things were things were recovering. So perhaps it was that. So then perhaps the damage to yeah. The, yeah. the system and perhaps people... You know, perhaps the exit from the gilt market was more the you know the faster money, you know those LDI type type funds, and there wasn't this. Uh, it's the counterfactual, right? Yeah. I mean, what would have happened if the Bank of England didn't didn't start step in and buy buy bonds, right? But, yeah, perhaps they saved the yeah. day. Perhaps they saved the day. Yeah. Who knows? Okay, my parting shot, James, so to speak. We're going to migrate from, we were on Euro, we did Sterling, we're going to migrate over to the Swiss franc. James, my understanding from observing the London forward desk over the last few weeks is that volatility in Swiss franc rates and the cross-currency basis uh, have been big issues for traders like you. So what's been going on there? Does it have anything to do with the massive size of the SMB's balance sheet or its attempts to tighten monetary policy? And what do you think has been the impact on the spot level of the Swiss franc, if any. Mm, ah, yes. Um, Swiss has been uh, in a world of its own, really. Since the SMB have uh, hiked rates into positive territory, um, you've really seen um, that like the, the cross-currency basis has widened quite a lot in Swiss, even not just the turn, but just regular regular funding. Um, you can think of it in terms of that the, the rate hike has not been fully passed through into into the FX swap market, um, kind of a, a leaky plumbing, as I call it, in the uh, in, in in the system. Um, now, almost certainly, that's to do with the sheer size of their uh, their balance sheet, the excess liquidity. Could also have been partly to do with, you know, the the, the length of time that they were on negative rates. You know, mm. it's harder to get out. It's harder to adjust if you've spent more time in in a different sort of regime. And also, let's not forget that um, one of their major commercial banks has pretty much pulled back from the international markets, which again uh, can't help uh, with you know pass through and intermediation. Mm. Um, you know, um, a big uh, a big commercial bank with access to the SMB facilities that then trades with international banks okay. is an important way that uh, you know liquidity in the system is um, you know recycled. Um, so it can't help that. Um, they used to have two big banks, and now they've got one, pretty much. Um, <laughs> pretty much, yeah. And what about the what about the spot market? Any spillover to that? Um, not that I've noticed. Okay. Um, I think that seems to be more uh, risk appetite, Ukraine uh, yep. Yep. focused. Okay, and then just just for my clarification, for the sake of clarification, and for our listeners, those who, those who are interested, during these episodes of volatility in Swiss franc rates and the cross currency basis. Would it actually have been difficult for Swiss banks to raise dollars, or would they've had to pay up significantly more so than other non-US banks, or it really didn't didn't go down that channel? Um, again, um, no, I would say right. that um, it's more of a problem with international banks being unable to park their Swiss, um, you know, at rates close to uh, SMB policy rates. So it's um, more of a big headache for the central bank. Yes, absolutely. Right, right. Yeah. okay, okay, got you, understood. Rather than, uh, yeah, I don't think it's a, 
I haven't seen any uh, any pressure on the dollar from mm. them. Interesting. Interesting. So, Greg, Mr. Anderson, that's basically my laundry list complete for James. Do you have anything else that you want to throw at him before we let him go? Yeah, James, uh, while we have you, just uh, one last question. So you you mentioned that November 29th, uh, a week from today, is the date when the one-month contracts span the turn. And I, and I guess my final question, do you have any um, insights for us and for uh, our clients on what to expect for that date? And in particular, you know, which, which currencies are you nervous about? It's, uh, it's a tricky one. Um, uh, you, you can read, uh, I've read some uh, opinion pieces from some banks who say that, uh, you know, because the net flow is going to be uh, borrowing of dollars, people say it's going to widen. Um, because of X, Y, Z reasons. But you equally, you can read uh, pieces by other banks who say uh, it's going to tighten for ABC reasons. So really, the, the, the problem is always you can, you can come up with good reasons why it's going to move one way or the other, but the market is so big and complex and no one has enough visibility over enough of the market to say uh, where we will go from, from where we are. Um, the euro turn has already been quite wide by sort of recent standards, um, and I think I mentioned before um, when I was t when I was answering your question about yen that it's possible that we've already seen the widest uh, levels and the sort of uh, the the normalisation that we tend to uh, that we tend to get as we uh, we approach uh, New Year's Eve um, is could already be underway. But um, that being said, you know there are, there are reasons that I've that I've read that Euro is uh, is still one to worry about from where we are. Um, particularly, they didn't get the TRO uh, payments, repayments uh, figure that, that they wanted. So Euro excess liquidity slash collateral shortage is still still a big problem for them. Now, I've read that uh, from, from one European bank says that the ECB might introduce, they might consider introducing some kind of certificates of deposit or these kind of thing to... Um, to withdraw liquidity. Um, so that would be a bit of a game changer. Um, that would cause the turn to normalise, all else being equal. Um, but yeah, it's all still up in the air. I think you've just got to, you've just got to stay nimble and uh, just, uh, yeah, roll with it. Roll with it. I think I think that's uh, pretty much where we should wrap up, Greg. There's so many thoughts rolling around in my, my brain, I'm sure you too. What do you say? Yeah, I, I think this is probably where we should end it. But uh, just, just a big thank you to, to James for uh, coming on the podcast with us. I'll second that. Thanks a lot, James. We hope to have you again sometime pretty soon. Yeah, that's a pleasure, guys. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Global Exchanges. Listen to past episodes and find transcripts at bmocm.com slash global exchanges. We'd love to hear what you thought of today's episode. You can send us an email or reach out to us on Bloomberg. You can listen to this show and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast provider. This show and resources are supported by our team here at BMO, including the FIC Macro Strategy Group and BMO's marketing team. This show is produced and edited by Puddle Creative. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Capital Markets, its affiliates, or subsidiaries. For full legal disclosure, 
visit bmocm.com slash macrohorizons slash legal.